Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Grappling Bulletin Podcast. Myself, Corey Stockton, here as always with Connor Joshin. What's up, guys? Connor, uh, some great UFC this weekend. Mm-hmm. John Jones. Man. Scary heavyweight right there. I didn't expect him to come looking out like that, but not after three years away. Yeah, yeah. And it was very obvious, like his frame was different. It really did look like watching a new fighter and uh Cyril just didn't really have anything for him. Which is just unbelievable. Like (laughs) I mean, you know, the the jujitsu enthusiast in my heart loves to watch a striker get just put on his heels and out in the first round. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but even still, like, kind of reminiscent of the Shogun Hua fight from back in the day, but still, it's like totally different John Jones. Yeah. Well, I, I still, speaking of John Jones Jiu Jitsu, one of my favorite moments of all time is watching him put Leota Machida in a, in a guillotine and walking off as his limp <laughs> body slumps down. So, uh, yeah, I mean, everyone should love John Jones being back in the UFC, but it wasn't just UFC. You know, we had a, we had a few other things going, but Bo Nickel. Also, not just John, John Jones, yeah. Bo Nickel made his debut, right? Yeah, man, how good did he look? He looked great. Round one submission. Can't really ask for anything more than that. Shows that he's working on that jiu-jitsu. But, you know, you can't say uh, getting a round one submission from Bo, I don't think necessarily has to be a testament to his jiu-jitsu because a wrestler like that is just going to break you until you put yourself in a position where you're going to give up your neck or whatever else he can. So shout out, Bo. Um, you know, I, I actually knew his dad from back in Kentucky. He's a great guy. You know, his, his dad um, coached local wrestling around there. So it's fun to see it, man. Yeah, a great, great showing for jiu-jitsu this weekend. I, the the Coleman event as well. Um, mm-hmm. The I can't remember who, what her name was. The new uh, flyweight champion who defeated Valentina Shevchenko mm-hmm. uh, was getting kind of handled for the first four and a half rounds, and then out of nowhere, just a clutch submission. Alexa Grasso. Alexa Grasso. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, now, now the uh, now the champion. Man, gotta love that. And it wasn't just MMA. We also had some jujitsu. We had the IBJJF Grand Prix. We had a few other events on flow. So if you're a combat sports fan, this may have been your weekend to, you know, I don't know if you'll ignore your girlfriend and go in your own room <laughs> and just put on all the fights, or maybe she joined in with you. But hopefully, you were able to catch some of the some of the, just the awesome stuff yeah. coming out of the sport. Because you know, we were talking about how, how dominant John Jones was and mm-hmm. how like there are very few as dominant as him, but one jujitsu athlete who's making a name is uh and let's get into the, the kind of the show and some of the agenda today but tyne and oh yeah is there, potatoes of today tyne and Dalpra is right there. there any athlete in jujitsu in gi jujitsu more dominant than tyne and right now the man in less than three complete years 
is 55 and 0 in the IBJJF competition. Yeah. Yeah, Tynan looked absolutely phenomenal in his super fight. We've been talking about his super fight coming up with Izaki Bahiens uh, for weeks now, uh, almost a month at this point. And, you know, Izaki was kind of the person we were picking as, you know, if there's anyone left on the roster to really put an obstacle in front of Tynan, to slow down that momentum that Corey's talking about, we figured, hey, Izaki's good as anyone to be that guy. But Tynan had other plans. Yeah, and, you know, both of these athletes – expressed that they were looking to come out and win by kind of quick submission Mm -hmm. we've seen that from both of these athletes they have the kind of tenacity and just ability to blast through somebody's guard and submit them um but tynan really turned the volume down on izaki kind of took all the wind out of his sails with that beautiful passing that we generally Mm -hmm. see from tynan but it wasn't the same the same style of passing that we see from tynan it was a little a little bit more close Tynan is such a good mid-range passer right mm-hmm. he floats from side to side and just kind of balances and looks for his opening Tynan once he got to the top position just forced his way through Izaki's guard and when he got past Izaki's guard he did not move he stayed put right where he was he was attacking but he was not letting Izaki funnel him back yeah, which is super fun to see. We always see Tynan put on a lot of great pressure. There was a highlight that we had put up of him uh, from one of his past performances against Andy Murasaki that I kind of fanboyed over. But it was a lot of kind of that similar thing of just putting down side control pressure, putting down that top pressure, and getting rid of any option Izaki had of, of uh, pro- providing any offense, it seemed like, to the match, or even just getting off his back and out of that side control position. Yeah, and you know, I think Tynan himself and Gee were a little bit not not critical, but just a little self reflective of the, of their performance as they should be in yeah. saying that you know I I wanted a submission, but hey, we got to go back and work on some things now. Mm-hmm. Which you know Tynan, for what it's worth, put up 19 points on Izaki, and it seemed like Izaki at a point. Um, at least my impression was that he was just trying to survive. Right, yeah. he was not looking to get scored on anymore. He was not looking to get submitted. He was just trying to do what he could to stay shelled up, not give up that submission and kind of give that reward to Tynan. And in doing so, Izaki showed some great defense, right? He was keeping his elbows tight. He was not giving Tynan this uh, inside leg position that he so desperately wanted because uh, you know when Tynan gets there, he's looking for back control. That's his avenue to setting it up. Mm-hmm. And to an extent, up until the last two minutes or so of the match, Izaki kept his shoulders glued to the mat. Oh, yeah. But with that, Tynan was just able to pour the pressure on, and he looked phenomenally heavy. At, you know, we see Tynan as, at least I see Tynan as a great movement passer, does a really good job of just disorienting his opponent by moving left to right and left to right and then getting to the back. Mm-hmm. But watching him just drown Izaki in pressure was a, a new testament to how good Tynan's control game is absolutely and it wasn't like we didn't see him on bottom at all because he did pull right off the bat and he you know he here in those sweet points uh, to come up on top so he really did earn his spot there uh to to be putting that pressure down and and take that top position but I do think it, uh, there's a fair question to be raised you know you had brought up it seemed like Izaki maybe was a bit more on the defensive through most of it or at least towards the end especially when it looked like you know those points just kept running up and it didn't really look like he had a great out you know aside from just not getting submitted but even then Tynan at about two and a half minutes uh, left in the match he's at 13 points right he's done nothing but pass uh, get into side control and full mountain kind of cycle between these positions and then he was given his third penalty for stalling which 
you know, if you were watching the match and you had the same kind of, um, you know, impression of it as, as maybe myself and you did, of it looks like Tynan's always on the offensive, Izaki doesn't necessarily have a great avenue towards scoring, it's kind of, it was hard for me as a fan to, to watch and see, like, understand exactly where maybe the, those stalling calls were coming from, because put it in context, Tynan was what? One stalling call away from being DQ'd. Yeah, in the final two minutes, he was, and you could hear, at least I could hear sitting next to Guy Mendez, um, Guy calling for Tynan, just go back into his garden pass it again. Just go back into his garden pass again. Just keep moving because they were aware that mm-hmm. that stalling call would have ruined the match. For it's a real thing. Not just them, but for everybody. Yeah. Right? Um, and, you know, the, these new rules that the IBJJF has introduced, I had the pleasure of attending the rules meeting and having them kind of clarified um, because this is the first time these rules have ever been put to effect. But what I garnered from the rules meeting were two things, right? Uh, as we've mentioned, the stalling call time, the shot clock, let's call it, was reduced from 20 seconds to 10 seconds, which is a huge change. But in addition to that, uh, the the head referee made it clear that the the change of... I guess the the reduction of the rule for double penalties, right? Where like both guys are now not moving, both guys get a penalty, basically nobody gets a penalty. Mm -hmm. The way they redefined that rule to make it a little bit more aggressive and directed, which I I think we should appreciate, is uh, the athlete that gets penalized is the one whose job it is to be offensive, Mm -hmm. right? So the defensive athlete won't be penalized it's the person who is in a dominant position who should be pursuing attack must be pursuing attack mm-hmm. now there are there's a, an outlet to criticize that rule right and say well Tynan who's in an offensive position shouldn't have the responsibility to move and you know you can make that argument mm-hmm. but with the rule being the way it was written mm-hmm. I think that they did a great job of enforcing it and yep. it forced Tynan to Funnel back out. Mm-hmm. Give Izaki a chance to work or at least say, okay, this isn't working. I have to do something else. Maybe it's not a perfect rule, yep. but the interpretation of the rule was, I think, perfect. Absolutely. And and to Corey's point, obviously this is like something new for everyone. It's not just new in the rule books, but it's new for these referees, right? These referees uh, are trying to apply a great many rules, right, all at once and, and trying to change something up and then seeing how they're going to apply it in real time, live, uh, you know, you can only ask so much as far as like fixing a match, quote unquote, from just one or two rule changes. That's never going to happen. Uh, but you know, I was really excited to see that they are implementing some rule changes, even if I wasn't necessarily super excited about how it played out in that one particular match. Uh, it's always good to you know to uh, direct the sport towards a more action-oriented approach. Uh, but I think uh, to your point, you had said. Um, you know, the onus of responsibility is on the guy in the uh, trying to achieve a dominant position, on the aggressor, maybe not the defender. I do think, like you had said, like the criticism has to be at some point, if you pass to a point where there is no longer very clear ways to dominate further besides taking the back or submitting the guy, then it feels like the onus of responsibility has to change to the bottom guy a little bit there. And in this particular instance, this is probably where I, I'm let's say standing up for the rule, mm-hmm. right? Tynan was clearly looking for back control. He was weaving his, I think his right leg underneath Izaki's left arm on repeat yep. for 30 minutes. Yep. But every time Izaki defends that, he's leaving access to the mount. Mm-hmm. So Tynan had another option. Yep. He decided not to pursue it. That's fair. But if there is a, a an, an ability to progress to somewhere else and your opponent's shutting down to the other direction of progression, 
you are not progressing, which is what the rule is. So I don't know. We're getting into the weeds a little bit here, mm-hmm. but I think, yeah, maybe these things need some time to be further figured out. Yeah. But I think it's for sure a step in the right direction. We need to throw those rules out in about 30 more matches before <laughs> we figure out how to really like iron them in. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, super excited to see. And I don't want to get uh, lost in the weeds too much without discussing what I think is the real takeaway for me from that, which is Tynan, Tynan Dalpra is dominant in the middleweight division more so than we thought beforehand man and so i'm kind of stuck wondering especially after tynan's pre- uh, post match interview what is left for tynan dalpra yeah you got to look at some of the names in that division and kind of have a lot of question marks because izaki really was the big like can he do it and even izaki came down from medium heavy if you mm-hmm. remember world 2022 he competed in medium heavyweight he won the medium heavy grand prix so while he can make middleweight that's he's no not longer his his primary weight category yeah. and if you look at the registration of hands um and even at euros right so many athletes that we would consider middleweights mm-hmm. have suddenly become lightweights or suddenly heavyweights. <laughs> they I'm not, vacated not accusing anybody of mm-hmm. fleeing a division it's coincidental but, for sure right but, but tynan is kind of parting the seas in the middleweight division and saying okay you're a middleweight does that mean you're a a, a heavy lightweight or does that mean you're a light <laughs> medium heavyweight yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. people just seem, seem to be dispersing yeah. there are some athletes that are staying resilient at middleweight ronaldo jr mm-hmm. Uh, and several others. Ronaldo jumps out to me because he constantly is throwing himself in the middleweight division, despite the fact that we've seen him compete well at medium heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was impressed by Espen Matisin, who is generally a lightweight, who jumped up at Euros to compete at middleweight. Um, and he was explicitly chasing Tynan in that move. It didn't work out the way we hoped. Espen got DQ'd, but he wants that match. Tynan wants that match. I'm sure we'll get to see that one eventually. Mm-hmm. But besides those two guys who were chasing Tynan, who else is there? Man, I think the one person you got to put on his radar, and it's probably on the radar for every athlete in jiu-jitsu, is Mika Galvao. Mika Galvao is, um, is he the only loss that Tynan has at Black Belt? He is one of them, at least. He lost uh, to Mika Galvao, Tynan did, in 2021 at EUG Promotions in a gi match. It was a referee's decision. I went back and I watched it today. Uh, Tynan had a very similar strategy, it looked like. He pulled guard off the rip and then was kind of looking for... um, you know, a sweep and then maybe to apply that kind of top pressure. But the sweep didn't come till much later in the match, probably too long for Tynan to really set his top game up and establish any meaningful passes, uh, you know, or anything to, to put himself on the scoreboard and ended up losing that to Mika. However, I know it was a little bit of a, I don't know if controversial is the right way to put it, but there's still some question marks around Mika's victory there, which kind of does put his name in the hat for next up, who can take on Tynan? You know, we have someone there. Yeah, absolutely. And just just to clarify, I said at the beginning of the show, Tynan undefeated at 55-0. and 0. That's in IBJJF competition specifically. To be more complete regarding the rest of Tynan's black belt career, he is 58-1. and One, <laughs> one loss is Miki Galvao. <laughs> Man. Right. Miki Galvao at the time, by the way, in 2021, was a brown belt. Yeah. Um, I, full disclosure, did not watch that match today, mm-hmm. but I do remember that match being kind of just – an explosion of movement, mm-hmm. which is something we generally don't see from Tynan matches or really from Mika matches. Mika has explosive tendencies, mm-hmm. but he does not kind of like just Tasmanian devil himself at people the way other athletes might, right? Yeah. Um, and the same can be said for Tynan. Tynan has 
an explosive, let's say, throw by. He has mm-hmm. an explosive sweep from X guard, but the majority of his movements are kind of smooth and precise, and he explodes ex- explodes when his athlete when his opponents don't expect it. Mm-hmm. But these two guys just can't. They, I, from what I remember, it was just yeah bombshells, just one after the other. Um, so that's a match for sure. I'd like to see again. I don't know if it plays out exactly like that, mm-hmm. but two of the best athletes in the gi currently, those two guys need to face each other, especially because Mika's last IBJJ Worlds campa- campaign wasn't lightweight. Yep. Um, Tynan has made it pretty clear that he does not want to move from middleweight until he's uh, beaten Marcelo Garcia's middleweight title record, which I think I believe is five. So, so we got him here for a little bit longer. Tynan wants to spend four more <laughs> World Seasons yeah. at... <laughs> Uh, at middleweight before he starts moving on, looking at potentially Nogi, looking at potentially uh, absolute divisions. Now, that may sound like a long time, but he's 22 years old. So by 27, he might have accomplished his first goal of being the most decorated middleweight mm-hmm. ever and pursuing other things. That being said, we have time. Mika, 18 years old, 19 years old, 19 years old still, will probably be up at middleweight before you know it. Mm-hmm. So... It's a match that I'm sure we're going to see, but I would love to see sooner rather than later. And Mika has been calling for Gi matches. He wanted it under the Who's Number One rule set, but under a Gi match on Instagram, which is really interesting, something that we haven't run in a long time. But regardless, I think whether it's Who's Number One rule set or IBJJF rule set, if you're looking for a matchup that's going to provoke produce action and excitement for Tynan as well as being competitive because Tynan can do action and excitement all you want put him out there with just some guy at a at an open he's going to score 50 points take their back and then submit them with a highlight reel but you want someone that can have that sort of match of dynamic and fun to watch while giving a challenge I don't know who else is on the list besides Tynan you know you got some of those middleweights that you talked about Ronaldo Jr. Espen Matiasen coming up but I feel like uh, Tynan's show against Izaki uh, is a real um, definitive way of showing that he's very far above even the people that we consider next in line for him. Sure, and I, I, I want to move on from this, but I do want to loft up just two other names that I mentioned in the Grappling Bulletin article this morning because always interesting to throw in. I think you can drop these two names in any hat and it makes it a more interesting conversation. Tyra Solo, Kate Rotolo. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's the, the thing that always stands out to me about, about them is they so rarely compete in the gi. Mm-hmm. But when they do, they just Everything. flex yeah. on everybody. You yeah. know, Tyra Rotolo came in to Worlds in 2020, uh, 2022 mm-hmm. after having not competed in the gi for six months when he won Brown Belt Worlds mm-hmm. um, and just stunted on people that really ha- compete in the gi far more often than yeah. he, he has in the last probably five years. Yeah. Everyone talks about often like uh, gi versus no gi and how gi can sometimes slow it down, whatever. But the Ruitolos are some of the few athletes in the world where the gi does not slow them down even a little bit. They still have their wild shooting for crazy submissions that maybe shouldn't. <laughs> you know, they're, they're doing that no matter what, no matter what stage, whether it's gi or no gi. So you're right. That would be a fun one. I hadn't even thought about that one. Yeah, well, we'll stay tuned to see what happens there. That's something I would love to see at Worlds. Maybe this year. I, I don't know. I, I hear maybe the Ruitolos are looking to enter but Uh-oh. we got plenty of time to figure out what's happening here we're dropping rumors here folks yeah. we're starting rumors we're getting it's spun up anyway let's move on to the uh the results more results from the actual grand prix mm-hmm. at the tezos flow grappling ibjf grand prix 
the Tynan versus Zaki match, of course, was the main event super fight. But there were two four-athlete Grand Prix that both took place. Uh, two athletes walked away with $10,000. Let's kick it off first with the men's lightweight Grand Prix. Jonathan Alves defeated Andy Murasaki in the final. He mm-hmm. defeated Elijah Dorsey in the semifinal. Uh, he looked great. I was really impressed in the way he, uh, he showed some different elements of his offense than we're used to seeing. Tynan, or, excuse me, Jonathan, generally such a, a heavy passer, but he was really um, a lot more open, especially mm-hmm. in the Elijah match. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, Elijah Dorsey was the last second replacement, or was he originally in the uh, Grand Prix? No, Elijah was was the late replacement, like a week before, a week mm-hmm. beforehand. Well, shout out Elijah for showing for sure. up and, and doing that thing, uh, going out there against the best in the world. Love to see it, but Jonathan, like you said, he looked really impressive. Um, he was able to come up for the two-sweep. Uh, he won by quite a bit, actually. I think our uh, replay may not be the best uh, descriptor of how the match ended up going. I think we had some difficulties with the scorecard, but that ended up with like a 15-point lead before finally ending the match still on top. Isn't that right, Corey? Yeah, and you know, Elijah did have a great first half of this match. He offered a lot of offense, hung in there with Jonathan, and as much as that should be kind of a feather in Elijah's cap, it does speak to just how uh, weathering, I guess you can call it, uh, Jonathan's game is because he stood there uh, in Elijah's closed guard for several minutes, just kind of sitting postured and ready and defending off all of Elijah's uh, kind of best offerings. And then Mm -hmm. once Elijah started to get a little bit more desperate, Jonathan poured the pressure on, uh, went straight into his passing game, which was a mixture of heavy chest pressure and very smooth leg movements. Watching, Watching this is... Kind of the best of both worlds, right? You kind of have that loose passing that Tynan plays and that heavier chest-to-chest connection passing that Jonathan plays. And you can just – its I talked about this last week, but some athletes are tangibly heavy mm-hmm. visually. Right? Yeah. You can see how heavy they are. Jonathan <laughs> for sure is one of them. Yeah, and we, full disclosure, we we had plenty of critiques about Jonathan's previous matches on the IBJJF Grand Prix. Not that he hasn't always performed really well, but maybe not having as dynamic as matches as some people would have hoped. But, you know, this match against Elijah Dorsey was a perfect example of the kind of jiu-jitsu that he can play whenever he decides to turn it on. Just pressure heavy. There was never a time where you thought the match was going to get stalled out into a place where neither person can score or positionally progress. So we love to see that. What do you think of his finals matchup? So that match did at points devolve into 50-50, mm-hmm. um, which... No lapel. Yeah, the, no no lapel play getting involved in there. But this is kind of what happens when you have two athletes who know each other as well as Jonathan and Andy Murasaki do. Um, I want to talk more about that in the, the next section, but just to start, right? Um, these two athletes are very familiar with what makes each other dangerous. Mm-hmm. So you go to maybe, let's call it, a safe space in 50-50. Um, I do want to say, even though this match ended up in 50-50, it did not look as slow or as, let's call it, boring as 50-50 can sometimes look. They were attacking. They were mm-hmm. looking for sweeps, and not just those seesaw sweeps. They were looking for actually getting out of exiting this position into a favorable position. And when it did slow down or when athletes very obviously stopped progressing, the referees called it. Mm -hmm. And that's all we can hope for, right? These rules aren't going to 
you know, change things overnight. But as long as the referees enforce them correctly, it's great. They will start to change the way that the sport is played. Yeah, absolutely. So shout out Jonathan. Uh, love to see him out there getting in on the GP. And congratulations on the GP win. That's another 10K in your pocket you can go ahead and walk home with. But I know not just the 10K, but he also took the mic afterwards. He's had some, he had some comments about maybe some of his previous matches. One with Roosevelt Souza sticking out is kind of piquing his interest for doing more absolute matches. Yeah, Jonathan entered the uh, IBJJF. Uh, he wasn't in the absolute GP. He was in a super fight, but it was for sure an absolute match. <laughs> Jonathan, a lightweight, took on Roosevelt Souza, an Big ultra boy. heavyweight. Yeah. Probably about a 100-pound difference in between <laughs> those two. Um, I, I yeah. know Roosevelt walks around around 260, and the cap for lightweight is 168. So mm-hmm. may, let's say 90, yeah. 80, 90, 100 pounds in between those Which two. Which at that point is like, all right, call it up. And Jonathan did not get dismantled. He lost by, I think, a, a pass, mm-hmm. right? Which... Um, Jonathan said he wants to do more in the absolute divisions. We've seen him in absolutes uh, at at IBJJF opens, where let's say the level is a little less guaranteed to be high. Right, mm-hmm. there are a couple high level athletes in there, yeah. but not the tip of the the tip of the spear always. But I would love to see Jonathan enter into the absolute division at pans he is already registered for the lightweight division at pans he's chasing now his fourth pans title he's gotten the last three consecutively it would be cool to watch him also go for the fifth that same weekend love it man love it um yeah, so we've covered the first the, the major super fight the big main event we've covered the men's GP what's next the uh Women's GP, Women's GP yeah. at the um, at the Tezos Flow Grappling Abijadev Grand Prix was phenomenal, and I was especially impressed by the performance of the returning mm-hmm. five-time world champion Nachielli De Jesus. So impressive. Nachielli had been out of IBJJF competition since 2019. Um, she took double gold that year, making her a five-time world champion, but. Uh, Soon after she became pregnant, right, there was COVID, and then she became pregnant, and then she spent some time adjusting to her new life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she hasn't competed on the IBJJF stage, except for in, like, a couple of minor tournaments mm-hmm. since 2019. And in her return, she looked phenomenal, not just in her guard play, but also in top of the passing game, and not against, you know, a couple of scrubs, against three-time world champion Andresa Sintra in the mm-hmm. first match, and against... Um, co five time world against a, an, another five time <laughs> world champion, Anna Carolina Vieira, in her second match. What did you think of Natalia's performance? Man, I thought it was great. I'm glad that she's back on the mat. I think all of it is made just that much more, per, uh, you know, impressive when you kind of take into account that she was taking what is as close to a maternity leave <laughs> as you yeah. can get. I mean, uh, and you know, in her post fight interview, she had said that you know, in this uh, when she saw this event. Um, kind of pop up on her radar. She knew this was her opportunity to get back under the lights, on the mats, and we're so happy to have her. Now she has 10K in her pocket after some huge wins. Because, you know, uh, Corey read off the credentials of just Anna Carolina Vieira just right there. And that is a impressive victory no matter what point in your career you are. If you're coming back after a hiatus, after a break of that long, though, that is just exponentially more impressive. So, And I want to throw out something that stood out to me, particularly in this match, but really in both matches. Um, we talked, Connor, just a moment ago about what athletes who are very familiar with each other can look like, right? <laughs> These two athletes have fought against each other several times. 
Um, and instead of going back to the well and doing what they always do, right? Nacielli with her world famous spider lasso guard mm -hmm. and Anna Carolina Vieira with her exceptional knee cut and Toriando passing, mm -hmm. they could have just stood there and tried to play the game they always play against each other, knowing full well, like you could see by Anna Carolina's grips that, okay, I know if I do this, Nacielli can't play her spider lasso. And meanwhile, Nacielli, with her legs, put her leg up here on the armpit and said, I know if my leg is here, she can't knee cut. Mm -hmm. And we could have had 10 minutes of stalemate. They're just shutting down each right. other's games. But instead, there was around halfway through the match, they both stood up and kind of, without speaking, agreed. Anna pulled guard. Yeah. <laughs> said, Let's see what we do with the roles reversed. Uh -huh. So instead of this you know, nonsense game, because we've, we know each other so well, I know how to stop you. You know how to stop me. Let's leave it to the refs. It, they they switched positions. Mm -hmm. We got to see some great guard passing by Nacielli and some really interesting guard play by Anna Carolina. Man, I love to see that. Um, was what was your favorite match to watch from Nacielli? Did you like? Uh, was the final kind of your peak of her performance for the night? Yeah, she looked really good in both matches. I the final was great. The Andressa match had me on the edge of my seat mm -hmm. the whole time um, because it was the very first match of the night. It kicked mm -hmm. the show off and. Uh, both athletes really had something cool to offer. Andressa hit the same sweep twice. Nacielli hit the same sweep twice. And in between, they were really fighting. Two is a nail for every grip. So yeah. it was a really cool match to watch. Um, Nacielli's not done. She said that she's going to be a little bit more active in the 2023 season, Love which makes that super heavyweight division even more exciting. We talked about the return of Tayani Porfirio. Uh, so that absolute title, I hope, in 2023 is going to be really competitive. We always see, you know, the names like the Amy Campos and the Anna Carolina slide in. But you need a couple of really, uh, really dominant super heavyweights to make that title what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't just ending there for the Women's Night of Jiu-Jitsu, the Grand Prix. While as exciting as it was, that was not the match of the night. Instead, the match of the night went to Janaina 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 Lepri. Janaina. Janaina Lepri. Uh she had a super fight with Tata Hibero, the her our very own. Tata's been on Who's Number 1. She's been on the GP. She's been all over. Uh but such a fun match. Corey, you want to break this down for yeah, us? Yeah, I was uh, not shocked at all that this was the match of the night. Let's <laughs> yeah. just say that. Janiina uh, and Tata know each other very well. They've had, this was their fifth match in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And it always looks just like this, right? Not always Janiina coming out um, on top right to start, but both women coming out just with a fire. Um, they're, it seems like they, they're very good friends, but not the moment the ref says go. Mm -hmm. Janina coming out with just heavy passing pressure. This was literally in the first 10 seconds of the match. Janina eventually got herself past the guard and didn't take very long to get an arm bar going. Uh, but Natalie said, excuse me, Natalie said, uh, not so fast. Mm -hmm. right? She got herself out of the arm bar. We'll have a look at the slick back take she hits here in just a minute. Um, I, I'm so impressed by, you know, this is the reason this match was booked. Is you know what these two look like, and real credit to Johnny. You know, she has to be really confident competing in this room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the last time she did, she won the IBJJF Flow Grappling Grand Prix, the Lightweight Grand Prix, and I think that was a breakout moment. Yep. But this for her was kind of a reinforcement of that breakout moment. 
Absolutely. It's really fun to see her making her name. Obviously, most of the women in this division, most of the athletes in this card, have made their name from the IBJJF, going to the Opens, going to the Majors, and winning their titles. But, uh, you know, John Aina, having had her first breakout moment, at least for a lot of fans on the previous GP, following it up with another victory, you know, this, this feels like it is her competition stage. And this is exactly why... Um, I'm I'm so impressed every time I watch Janina. This is the last five seconds of the match. Still she's, going. She's up by one point. Mm-hmm. She's going for the armbar. Yeah. Right. At you know at that moment, there's no reason that most athletes sh- wouldn't want to just take their foot off the gas, close the guard, lock it up. I know I can survive for, for five seconds. Yeah. Because if something happens, you could lose the match. She takes the risk anyway. Uh, that's why she's so impressive. That's why she's one of the athletes that we love to watch most. Um, and she's really. Uh, just elevating her level, elevating her status, and I think she's finally starting to get the recognition she deserves. Absolutely. And uh, sorry, Johnina, I swear to God, I pronounced your name correctly like five times before the show, and as <laughs> soon as I like looked into the cameras, I, I froze. So apologies for that one. But congrats to all the athletes. Um, you know, I'm glad that we're able to have more of the IBJJF rules style uh, nights like we did. So really fun to see, and you know, hope everyone was able to take that 10k pocket and go have some fun. With <laughs> of course. The Grand Prix wasn't the only event this weekend. Uh, on Saturday, Toro Cup uh, stacked uh, day. It was a, a full day of events. But the headline event, Gianni Grippo versus Gabriel Souza. Gabriel Souza, the lightweight champion, returned to defend his title for the third time. Mm-hmm. And he was successful with, you'll never guess, Dynamic side-to-side guard <laughs> passing. Yeah, who would have thunk it? Uh, yeah, Gabriel Souza, you know, always exciting to have on the map. But let's not, you know, let's not sleep on Gianni Grippo. He has been a longtime competitor, always a veteran, always game. Uh, but, you know, sometimes the pressure that guys like Gabriel Souza can put on you, even with just that outside passing, is just too much for people to keep up with. Yeah, and, and Gabriel's pressure is it's actually a different kind of pressure, right? Because I'm sure he's heavy when he gets into a dominant position, but he's, his pressure is more of an overwhelming style, right? Mm-hmm. Just trying to uh, make you disoriented, confused by just all these lateral movements and even just in his energy, right? He's here to show you I'm, I'm game, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere. This is a 20-minute long match, and Gabriel is consistently pushing the pace. Uh, Gianni has one of the... Most difficult. I was talking to somebody earlier today. They said, "I don't think I've seen Gianni get his guard pass since 2017," which is probably true. Yeah, it's so rare to watch Gianni Grippo get his guard pass, especially in uh, a division where where he's not at a weight disadvantage, right? Because he yeah. will once in a while jump into the absolute, and it's a little bit less <laughs> less common there. But Gabriel Souza has some of the best passing in the business, and it put him ahead in sudden victory here. So. A little bit of a strange rule, rule format. It was uh, ten, f- sorry, five minutes, <clears throat> five minutes, no, no, no score. Mm-hmm. Five minutes with scoring on the board. He passed Johnny in the no score period, and then uh, a little bit more of a stalemate in the second period. But in the sudden victory period, Gabriel Souza breaks it out, hits this pass again, gets right into side control, and solidifies his uh, title defense. So just to clarify here, I'm assuming the no takedown points in OT, or is it just because it was a pool? That was considered a guard pool. Okay. Yeah, and you could tell he looked up at the at the referee and said, "Is that it? Or are we still going?" Yep. 
Well, I, one thing I love to watch about Gabriel is, you know, when you're watching him pass, obviously dynamic passer side to side we talked about. But look how he drops. Uh, it was most clear like in one of the first clips that you showed mm. how he drops his weight as soon as he's past the leg, as soon as he clears the knee line. It is every bit of weight that he can put down yeah. on you, chest-to-chest yeah. pressure. And, man, does that not just look like the most miserable yeah. place to be <laughs> caught under, especially knowing you're in OT and you just have to do something to get up out of there. My God. And, you know, Gabriel Souza is chronically kind of unsung. Let's not forget, ADCC silver medalist. Yeah. yeah. Multiple-time Nogi Worlds finalist. Uh-huh. I mean, he, he's one of the best in the business, and it seems like he kind of always flies under the radar. Um, he, he deserves every bit of recognition that he got here from Toro Cup, and I hope so much more. He is one of the best guard passers, especially in the lightweight division right now. Mm-hmm. Um, impressive to watch always. And the only reason, really, he's even gotten any bit of overshadow that he may have is because he's just in a division of absolute killers. You know, in the last two years, think about the guys that he's constantly going up against. Pato, you know what I mean? Uh, Josh Cisneros. Like, these kinds of guys are, they're also on the come up. So no matter how good your accolades is, no matter how good your jujitsu is, you're surrounded by people that are just killers they got they all got that dog in them they all got you know a a path to victory no matter who they're facing so you know really fun to see gabriel Souza uh staying on top of the competition scene even after such a uh, fantastic adcc performance congratulations to gabriel and toro cup is a great show go back watch that match watch all the matches toro cup always puts on phenomenal show uh speaking of phenomenal shows uh Flow Studios mm-hmm. has a loaded month of March. I want to kick this off by talking about the the kind of Flow Films project, right? Oh, wait, there's more than 20 films and original series on Flow Grappling. As of last week, they are all available for free, mm-hmm. no subscription required. Go to Flow Grappling, click on any film you want. It's yours to watch. Uh, there's a backlog going back to 2015, 24, yeah. I don't know, going back a ways. Um, so... Make sure you catch up on, I mean, there's so much out, so much time worth of footage. Um, and the, we will be adding one more on Wednesday, the ups and downs of the Manaus Boys. Premieres on Wednesday, March 8th. It is a 60-minute documentary following Diogo Hayes, Miki Galvao, Fabricio Andre, Melky Galvao through the ADCC trials process in Brazil through, of course, as we're seeing here, the biggest grappling event in history, the 2022 ADCC World Championships. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the name implies, some highs, some lows, but an incredible story of an incredible team and some access and behind-the-scenes stuff that I don't think most people have ever seen or have ever really understood about who Mika is, who Melky is, who Diogo, who Fabricio are. Mm-hmm. Right? There, there's... So much that we know and we love about them, but there's so much that I don't think most people have really gotten to see from them. Yeah, absolutely. And we always talk about the roster of athletes that are constantly expanding. So this is another cool opportunity. Not only do you get to see these three athletes, some of the fan favorites kind of exactly, you know, in their hometown, in their home territory, and on the competition mats, but, you know, right there, you just saw Cade Rutolo pass by, say what's up. You're going to see all kinds of your favorite athletes, right? So if you're not Justin and the Manaus brothers, 
That's perfectly fine. You got everyone here. On top of that, like you said, we have some really cool archived films, maybe from way back when. I can think of a few, like just the John Combs films, right? Yeah. Like, like there's some there's some like sleepers in there that if you have not, you know, if you're looking for more jujitsu content to to go through, we got what you need. Whether it's new, whether it's old, so I'm super fun, or I'm super excited that we, uh, you know, we're constantly creating new content. But now we got it out in front of the paywall, no longer just for the flow subscribers. It's for all of you guys let me throw this up to you yeah. what's your favorite film on flow grappling oh man um okay 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 i i need to i'm gonna go back through and do a uh like a i need to see them all, all right. but um, i will call out it's hard not to just go gordon the gordon ryan film from 2019 adcc it's it's got as high a production level mm-hmm. as i think that we had ever put forth into a film at that point at least um so that's really up there the Nicky Ron films up there. Let me give me a second. I'm right? gonna cheat and give you three while give you, it, while you pick me, one. Uh, the Buchecha film, right? The Buchecha documentary, two yep. part documentary that goes through essentially Buchecha's entire rise to fame and his reign at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quest for the Shrivel Crown, uh, three part series, not a three part, two part series on Leandro Lowe in the season that he tried to win and successfully won Copa Podio in three different divisions mm-hmm. and. Uh, the new guard with Levi Jones Leary, because uh, it's just a great story. Right? Yeah. It's this this uh, brown belt world champion comes to black belt, dominates everything, has a kind of heartbreak at Worlds, but mm-hmm. wins it all back at Spider. I, that's one of my favorite documentaries of all time, not just on Flow. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm looking through here some of the ones that stand out to me. I forgot that we had the Rafael Lovato Jr. Uh, film. That one's a fun one. Man, there's just too many to choose from. If you haven't gone through uh, our archives, it, it seems like Corey and I have some homework to do because we're gonna have to go back through and do some marathons. But we also got Eddie Bravo in there building an empire, a three-part series. I can, you know, you can go behind the scenes with the Tenth Planet Madman. That is Eddie Bravo. We got so much going on. Before we get too far along, because I want to keep talking about films. Let's do it. Uh, before the Manaus Boys film drops on Wednesday, uh, Trey recently released a vlog. Uh, Diogo and Mika came into town, came into Austin, hung out with us at HQ. Mm-hmm. They went shooting at Sheepdog Response up with uh, with Tim Kennedy's crew up there. We have a snippet from that, but let's roll the tape. That whole thing is available on Flow Grappling now. What up, Diogo? <laughs> What's up, Gus? Hey, what's up? How you doing? Welcome to town. What's up, Mika? How you doing? Good to see you. Honor. Nice to meet you. That's Baby Shark's payment there. Pretty cool. Yeah. Here you go, Baby Shark. We got some money for you. Baby Shark, now he's Megalodon. He's a big playboy, so you know we gotta give him big money to come. Thank you, thank hey, thanks you. for coming and filming with us. Superstar right there. So now I wanna bet with someone who wanna fight against me. My money against your money. <laughs> you want a bet match? Yes. Who, who do you want a bet match against? Anyone. Imagine that I'm talking to you. I'm the boys here. So you, you're running things now around here? Yeah, they're running things now here. Everything will change. What do you think about your nice office with this beautiful view? Cool. It should be improved, but now it's okay. Does this mean you're my boss now also? Yeah, yeah that's your boss, but also my friend. Okay. <laughs> that's good, that's I'm good. I'm gonna upgrade you. Okay, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, Let's go. All right, guys, so I just got a raise and a promotion. Thanks for your boss, baby shark. 
Hey, what's up, guys? This is Yako Kalili, director of training for Sheepdog Response. We're out here at Reveille Peak Ranch um, with these champs out here. We're gonna get some uh, shotgun training in today. Um, these guys got lucky because this is the first time we've done a shotgun course, so the timing for them coming out for this is perfect. What do, you, what do you think about these guys? Do you think they're going to be as good at shooting as they are at jujitsu? Uh, probably not. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's a, it's an acquired skill, just like jujitsu. Um, luckily, shooting doesn't take as long to get good at as jujitsu does. So I think we're going to be okay. And as you can see, the guys already got the hat on, so we're halfway there. <laughs> yeah. You, you got to look the part first, right? So we're halfway there. Shoot! Boom! Pull this back. It's going to pop out automatically loads the next one. So yeah, today we're gonna have a battle royal. Only one's gonna survive. And we're gonna see who it is. Baby Who's Shark or Mika. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Diogo, you look awesome. How do you think it's gonna go, Diogo? Will be, the things will go well. Okay. Okay. Man. Mika and Diogo should be a buddy cop film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that line, we're going to do a battle royale, caught me off guard. I can't imagine the sheepdog guy, <laughs> sheepdog's eyes just getting real big. That's so fun. Man, where did he get that hat from? Was that like a, you just go to so Bucky's? You can find out. Yeah, you can find out at, during the, uh, the very beginning of the vlog. But go check that out. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a real behind the scenes look at. Baby Shark and Mika are such characters, yeah. and I don't. I think watching two guys like that kill it on the mat, you forget just how cool they are as people. Mm -hmm. uh, but definitely worth a watch and go check out the film, which drops once again on Wednesday. It was really cool of Diogo to um, promote uh, Trey like that, give him that you know raise that he's always been asking for. He's since been fired. Oh uh, well, you know. Mika took over. Mika took the position. It's like, <laughs> exactly. ah, Trey's got to go. Sorry. Uh, that's not the only thing coming out of Flow Studios in, Flow Sports Studios in March. Also in March, on March 29th, mm -hmm. Daisy Fresh Season 3, the final season. Let's do set it. Set to premiere. Um, in preparation for that, like we said, all the films have been unlocked. That includes Daisy Fresh Season 1, Daisy Fresh Season 2. That's 10 episodes of Daisy Fresh. So if... You have been living under a rock. If you don't know what we're talking about with Daisy Fresh, go check out the story of Pentagon Submission Fighting, which began in 2019. Well, our story with them began in 2019 and follow all the way through up until uh, the end of season two. Get ready for season three, which once again drops on the 29th. Moving on. Uh, one more thing to watch this week. Well, this there's tons to watch. I'm yeah. grappling. But one more thing that, for my sake, so that my suffering didn't come in vain, <laughs> please okay. watch this week the, <laughs> the Fix My Game. I got the pleasure, let's call it, to mm -hmm. do a Fix My Game with Roger Gracie. That was. Huh. They were calling you fun. out in the comments. They were saying he took it hard on you because you called him Roger rather than Hodger. Do you feel like that had an effect? In my defense. Uh huh. I spoke with Mr. Gracie's father <laughs> 20 minutes before shooting this episode, and his first question to me was, have you rolled with Roger yet? Okay. So you got it from his dad. And you're the like, guy who gave him the name called him – I'm sure he goes by Hodger. Mm -hmm. Everybody in the – I don't want to linger too long on this. <laughs> <laughs> I can only see this getting worse for me. However, yeah, it was – as much pleasure as it was pain, it was very difficult to edit this and not just feel terrible uh -huh. about my jujitsu. Yeah. But 
the upside. So many of the lessons that I learned from Roger Gracie have had immediate effect on my jiu-jitsu. My my cross-collar choke is significantly better than it was just four weeks ago, Mm -hmm. as was my guard in general, my passing. Mm -hmm. I feel like there are so many cool lessons in what he taught me, and not just in what he actually sat there and explained to me, but watching back and watching the jiu-jitsu that he did and like trying to pick apart and study how he beat me up. (laughs) Um, Please take a look at it. Um, it for for me it definitely helped fix my game, which is the the name of the series. It's mm-hmm. the point of the series. So I hope you get something out of it. Um, Your yeah. suffering will not go in vain. We will all watch <laughs> it. I guarantee it. Uh, but man, it's super cool that you got to do that. That may be the coolest fix my game guest we've possibly ever had. There have been some cool ones, but that is up there for sure. Man, top three. We'll give you top three position, Corey. <laughs> Let's uh, move on to the last topic here: upcoming events. There is so much more to come. On flow grappling in the months of March and April, starting with Sogi Winter Wars. <laughs> Hold up, time out, time out, time out. I love the, deep, the deep breath, breath. before, because yeah, you know what's about to go down. I'm going to sit over here quietly and just impress. Go ahead, Corey. Go ahead. Sogi Winter Wars, March 11th, uh, features Pachigoli versus Alex Nemeth. Also, an eight man middleweight bracket. And my favorite match, Keith Krikorian versus Andrew Solano in the 170 pound weight division. Following that, combat sports coverage subversion equinox which is out in australia um that features ash williams jeremy skinner pants in kiss me florida march 21st through 26th registration is almost full as of this morning it was nearly 90 percent full uh, and the divisions are stacked mm-hmm. lightweight light featherweight medium heavyweight featherweight rooster-weight, uh, and they all look impressive to me. Fionn Davis just threw her name in the hat, so she's going to be making her way over here. Um, later on this month, rise, excuse me, beginning of next month, Rise Invitational 11 on April 1st. That features a woman's 135-pound bracket. Midwest Finishers features a men's 155-pound uh, bracket and a women's 125-pound bracket. That's also on April 1st. Finishers Survivor Series 3. That's one of the team tournaments. On April 16th, that one, a weight limit of 170, quintet style. And Emerald City Invitational on April 29th. That is an EBI rules tournament with a 32-man, 135-pound division uh, and a 16-woman, 135-pound division. So they are set to name their bantamweight champions. Love it. With 2K on the line for each of those uh, tournaments. So super fun. Man, also... Great job, Corey. Did it again. That's our guy right there. Anything else today? Uh, I don't think so. We talked MMA. We talked the GP. We talked upcoming events. Man, we're getting the year kicked off right. This is what? We're two months in? Three months in now? We're on month three? Love to see it. Yeah, so much more to come this year. We still got Worlds on the on the radar. Pans, obviously. Um, things are just kind of getting started. Stick around. We have more news from Pans, hopefully coming next week don't go anywhere when the grappling bulletin podcast returns on monday hell yeah